Crystal Fisher has been extra AF for a real long time. Before we started being all cute and calling things extra, the other term was annoying. She has a long history of being completely fabulous and also painfully awkward with people. Life eating is about consuming experiences with a little to no care about the consequences. She's a life eater. She's also an okay writer and loves all things that are nostalgic. She uses slap bracelets and click pins to work her way through years of embarrassing tales. She then speaks those memories aloud into a microphone in a crazy, never-ending, run-on sentence. In the end, we all get a laugh and start to think about our own experiences and the things that we used to know and love. Crystal Fisher is a storyteller. You can find Crystal and her stories wherever you listen to your podcast, as well as all the social media sites. Just search for Eat Life Podcast, where we consume experiences, forget the consequences, and eat life. So yeah, Tumblr porn going away. Man, bummer. It really honestly is. They are shooting themselves directly in the face. Okay, so I don't really use Tumblr that much, but like, isn't the whole point of Tumblr porn? Like, porn, isn't that literally like the whole point? I mean, for the most part, porn, lewds, yeah, nudes, dudes, <laughs> boobs, boobs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's a big thing in the gay communities, especially. Lots of the gays use the Tumblr for the porn. But I will have to say, I will say this. We are getting some very excellent memes out of this. That's true. I mean, it's going out with a bang. Like, it's 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 going out burning bright. I'm just saying. One of my favorite memes uh, is actually from, it's taken from American Horror Story from this last season. When, what's her name? Emma Roberts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Emma Roberts. And you have to know it by context. In the show, she is about to die at this moment uh, from the hands of the Antichrist. She recognizes that. So she turns around and she's like, I guess it's back to retail. Because that's her hell. When she goes to hell, she's in retail hell. Which I feel in my soul. So just that meme of her, it's like scratched out, retail is scratched out, and it's like, guess it's back to Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> I just absolutely love it. I feel like that's gonna, that's probably my favorite meme of 2018 right there. <laughs> but it's a very sad day. If I just don't understand why, like, if you... I don't so, understand why you would, as a Tumblr exec decide to just like remove porn because that's like your whole fucking audience like who do you think is on tumblr so what happened was someone some fucking uh person who posted some fucking kitty porn on there oh. and apple freaked out and removed tumblr from its like download platform service so you like couldn't download tumblr when you tried to search it oh. um like as an app yeah as an oh. app so they completely removed it 
And, you know, but here's the thing. I feel like overreaction. So, yeah, that's kind of the consensus. It's like, so instead of like hunkering down on like your filters and your security features and like that stuff. Yeah. You know, where you're just going <laughs> to... I can kill yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, nobody, I don't think anybody uses Tumblr for anything else. No, not really. I mean, you get some fandoms, but yeah, that's true. about it. Yeah. The gays are really upset. I'm sure. So, I'm sure. I guess we're uh, back to Pornhub and Twitter. So, Twitter's about to get nasty, y'all. Uh, honey, it's already nasty. Really? December 17th. <laughs> that's the date. So, Interesting. well, hello. <laughs> how are you all doing today maybe, maybe that's when the haunted heart launches our blogosphere that's just called oh my it, God. you know it's fine i mean comma it's fine dot 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 and we just let you guys post all the nasty porn you want all of the legal, but again like, no kids no still keeping the no kids rule right very exactly. strict exactly that's what we're going to do. And you know how some of those websites that are 18 and plus, like 18 and over, have uh, like some of the brewery sites you have to put in your birthday to prove that you're 18 to go in. But right. if you can fucking do math, then you can beat it because I've been beating it since I was like. I mean, I was born in 1960. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, we're not going to have that. We're going to have like actual like questions <laughs> from like the 80s and 90s or whatever to prove that you are actually available. Question. What is a pog? <laughs> Answer that. <laughs> Cheat on that. What is a slammer? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, actually, uh, who would know the answer to that is the promo that we played exactly. at the top of the episode funny how that worked right <laughs> we that was a smooth slide absolutely fuck always always smooth slide right on into that mm-hmm. yes like a slip inside honey say. we had ky on that bitch <laughs> no um the promo that we paid, played at the top of the episode it's a new podcast that we have discovered that we both love and the host crystal fisher is so adorable mm-hmm. i just want to squish her squish her squish her in my bosom just oh, want to just hold just her right there squish her just place her right there in between in between two mountainous breasts <laughs> and just smush <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um she's really cool and it's just a very chill vibe you know what i mean like i listened to it Mm. on the plane i had to fly to arizona this past week no blood clots happy to report um but i had to i was flying back from arizona and i was exhausted and i just put on her show because i had just you know kind of gotten into it and i put on the newest episode and it just kind of zenned me out like it was very like i'm down with the message of eating life it's very like I'm, i'm down with it i would say i'm a life eater Oh, yeah, I'm totally a life eater. Uh, what I really appreciate about it is it's really um, heavily centered around nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as n- children of the 90s, mm-hmm. um, we do love us some nostalgia. Absolutely. So there's lots of things that I find are completely relatable uh, in the show. And it just, like you said, it's very calming. It's very chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they run about, like... 45 minutes? Mm, or a little less than that. It's yeah. like 28 to 30, 45 really? minutes sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's just like a really nice More quick dose of like, if you will. yeah, of nostalgia. So um, I definitely recommend uh, heading over to check it out. You can follow uh, Crystal on 
uh, her social medias at Eat Life Podcast. True. I think the Facebook is Eat Life Podcast and the Twitter is Eat Life 3, at Eat Life 3. Mm. So, yeah, check it out. You guys would probably like it. Yes. It's nice. It is very nice. It's nice. We didn't plan this transition, though, did we? <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> so, uh, this week, we are chugging right along with our lovely little Christmas theme. Uh-huh. People say we can't do Christmas. Bitch, Listen, I'm going to tell you bitch. what. There's a, a Christmas tree in the corner. She might be black with blood red lights on her. I'm going to tell you what. She's still a crumma tree. Exactly. I saw an article the other day that was like, black, it was on Facebook, uh, so you know it's real. Uh, <laughs> black Christmas trees are the new thing for this year, for 2018. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please. I've had my black Christmas tree for like the past three to four years now tell that to a gay goth honey i'm just saying black christmas tree is the shit it is versatile it's your halloween tree and then it's your christmas tree mm-hmm. it looks good with red it looks good with white silver pretty much any color you want we can do christmas up in this bitch like a red rum christmas a red rum christmas a christmas filled with murder <laughs> and blood and murder <laughs> again <laughs> yes so this week we're gonna cover two christmas murders, murders. and i'm gonna go first Wait, as i why? assertively mentioned why? at the top of the episode <laughs> i need to know why i don't know because i'm excited about my story i'm prepared this is one of those weeks where i'm really prepared and so i'm like let's go i'm ready to just not well, honey if you are prepared then please go first <laughs> Jesus Christ, because there's well, you know, no telling I flew, what's going to happen. I flew this week, so I was I had to do my thing where I get um, a middle seat on the plane. Uh-huh. And I get my uh, computer out, and I get it all up, and I queue up all my Haunted Heart tabs. And then I just research a horrifically gruesome murder and a bunch of <laughs> occult topics. I researched a couple of different episodes. <laughs> <laughs> on that flight and uh yeah i scared the shit out of both of my well one guy i think the guy to my left just totally went to sleep super oblivious worried about him right in his life as we should um, all be right because he he totally missed it but the lady on my right i think was very increasingly concerned mm. at because as the topics like that i was researching changed she just because it was a five-hour flight so i had some some time to really just dig into a couple internet holes and it was uh it was an interesting journey. Yes. I think uh, United was concerned if they were checking the uh, Wi-Fi. What does this bitch do it on the Wi-Fi? Um, <laughs> At least you weren't researching plane crashes. It's true. That's very true. I <laughs> do have a hard and fast rule about that. I will say this. What is it with you and the desert? Why are you always going out to you know, desert it places? Just, the desert calls me. <laughs> Every other, I'm going to the desert. I'm going to California. I'm going Nevada. to Nevada. Arizona. Arizona. Yep. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't know. Um, it's I don't interesting. ask questions. It has been the year of the desert though. It's yeah. interesting that you point that out. I, I, I don't ask questions. I don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go anywhere. I don't go places yeah. or do things. You're a little bit more of a homebody. I do. I do like my home. Yeah. But okay. that's fine. All right. Well, um, want me to tell you something to make you nervous about your home? <laughs> sure. Go right at it. It seems that danger can find you even when you don't leave your home. Oh, well, that depends. <laughs> On what? On if you are the danger. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. 
fair point. I am the danger, so I have nothing to worry. I am the danger. Kind of like I am the storm. I am the danger. I am the storm. Okay. Murder. So we're digging into my topic of the week. My Your taco? Ta- my taco. Yep. We're digging right in. Taco. Uh, it's got mild week. sauce on it. Because <laughs> you know I don't like it too spicy. All right. As long as it's got sour cream. Is it supreme? <laughs> yes, but without the tomatoes. Um, they're squishy. I don't like them. So we have to get all our laughs out now because we're about to talk about the very tragic story of the Kavina massacre. Oh, okay. So let me set the scene for you. Okay, set the scene. Scene is set. On Christmas Eve in 2008, about 25 guests of the Ortega family excitedly filed into their suburban home located at 1129 East Knoll Crest Drive in Covina, California, a sleepy suburb of L.A., for a Christmas Eve party. You can imagine folks heavily laden with gifts hustled in from the blustery, chilly, mid-70s California winter cold. Yeah, for real. As the guests gathered around, sharing in Christmas cheer, 45-year-old Bruce Jeffrey Pardo waited outside, dressed in a full Santa Claus suit. Mm-mm. At around 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Pardo knocked on his former in-law's door, carrying a gift-wrapped package containing a homemade flamethrower in one hand and a 9mm semi-automatic handgun in the other. What the fuck? Three other 9mm semi-automatic handguns were strapped to his body underneath the festive red Santa suit. Talk about a bowl full of jelly. (laughs) I did write that myself. I'm pretty proud of it, actually. (laughs) That was, okay, I'll give you that one. So Bruce Pardo was not doing well. You don't say. His wife of only one year had settled for divorce on December 18th, 2008, uh, just a week prior. The couple wed in January of 2006, and they had quickly grown apart. Pardo refused to open a joint bank account with his wife because he expected her to take care of her three children from a prior relationship with only her own finances. So he was that kind of motherfucker. I don't, that's not, that's not how this works. Right? You marry a girl that got kids, they your kids now, baby. They're your responsibility, motherfucker, yes. Right, right. That's not how any of this works. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. But he wouldn't get a joint joint bank account with her and told her that she had to use her money for her kids and none of his money would go towards her kids. So in June 2008, when divorce proceedings began, (laughs) which is probably longer than I would have lasted, girl. The court ordered Pardo to pay Sylvia $1,785 each month in spousal support. And around this time, Pardo reportedly mentioned to a friend that his wife was, quote, taking him to the cleaners, end Mm. quote. In July of 2008, Pardo was fired from his job as an electrical engineer at some electronic systems firm for billing false hours, which further added to his financial issues. For billing false hours. So basically, so the court was, told him that he had to pay her spousal support, and then he started like charging overcharging. Extra. Yeah, charging extra at work, like he billing he for hours being, he didn't work. Yeah, he thought he was being slick. And that motherfucker did that shit for one month and then got caught. Come on, Get, come dude, on, dude, dude, not intelligent. No. So when the divorce was finalized on December 18th, Pardo was ordered to pay Sylvia $10,000 as part of their settlement. Shit. Yeah. Pardo became more and more bitter, arguing in a court declaration that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had spent lavishly on a luxury car, gambling trips to Vegas, and meals at fine restaurants, massages, and golf lessons. 
And who knows if that's even true? Because yeah, clearly you, he's kind of a crazy man. Yeah, I mean, you never really know, like, what the fuck he's going to say. Because he's right. just going to spout off random yeah. shit. I don't think that she that bought, has really been... She was, buying, she was buying groceries. Right. She had to right. buy a toothbrush. Right. Like, she Extra probably needs shit. a car to get back and forth to For fucking real. work, dude. Why was she buying gas? Right, right. Like, yeah. what? No. He strikes me as that type of motherfucker. For so. real. We all know that man. So that's kind of the background of what was happening. Um, the pressure ratcheting up and up and up on, on Bruce Pardo. So as soon as the door of 1129 East Knollcrest Drive opened on Christmas Eve, Pardo's eight-year-old former niece, the daughter of Sylvia Pardo's sister, Letitia Yusef Polsky, ran towards him to greet him. Pardo immediately shot the girl in the face and then advanced into the room, and authorities believe he then systematically executed several party guests directly. Those three guests were Sylvia Ortega Pardo, his ex-wife, Alicia Sotomayor Ortega, and Joseph S. Ortega, his ex-wife's parents. Following these executions, Pardo then began firing indiscriminately at the rest of the 25 guests assembled there. After the shootings, Pardo unwrapped the package containing the homemade flamethrower and used it to spray racing fuel gasoline to set the home ablaze. Holy fuck. One survivor was able to call 911 after escaping to a neighbor's house. The resulting fire soared approximately 40 to 50 feet high and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish. After the attack, Pardo put on his street clothes and drove his Dodge Caliber rental to his brother's house in Silmar, about 30 miles away from the crime scene, where he was later found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Because that's how these fucking cowards roll. So he committed suicide. In his possession, though, was an airline ticket for a flight to Moline, Illinois. And I don't know where Moline is. I don't even Moline. know if you say it, Moline. If you Moline. live in Illinois and you listen to the show, let us know. Moline. M O L I N E. Moline. 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 <laughs> I don't know. Uh, apparently, Pardo had called days before to tell a friend from high school who he had previously visited in October 20, 2008. That he was planning to visit, but investigators were unsure if he actually intended to visit this person or if the flight was just to fool investigators. Like, the Mm. ticket was just to fool investigators. Mm -hmm. Portions of Pardo's Santa suit had melted during the flamethrower portion of his attack and had adhered to his skin so not all of the suit could be removed. What the fuck? He had extensive third-degree burns on his arms as well. And police found $17,000 in cash cling wrapped to his legs inside of a girdle. A, gir- a girdle? Yeah. Why did he have $17,000 strapped to his no, fucking... No, I was going to say, like, he only had to pay Sylvia 10000 So you still had right. 7000 left after that, plus whatever you spent on this plane ticket to Illinois, which is probably a couple hundo, right? Yeah. Like... You could have just paid the ten thousand dollars and been and like just not went on about your fucking been life, a psychopath. Instead of like busting in on someone's fucking Christmas Eve party and yeah. murdering them yeah. all yeah. horrifically, yeah. you know, I just don't understand people. The rental car that they found him in had been rigged with remnants of his Santa suit that would detonate the car with black gunpowder if removed. All right, so I'm confused. So his Santa suit had. Like a like, detonator device that he had armed. So if they moved the car, it, it would, would blow explode. up. Yeah. Oh, oh but oh, he was oh. already like shot. He had already shot himself dead inside of that car. 
He just had a lot of things happening. I feel like he had a couple different plans. Damn, he was prepared. Yeah. I just don't understand. You Like you said, you had $17,000 in cash strapped to you. Girl, yeah. drop it off. Yeah. Say goodbye. Right. Let it go. Girl, it, move on. I mean, it ain't that serious. So also recovered from the scene were four 13-round capacity handguns that were totally empty and at least 200 rounds of ammunition. Later, at Pardo's house in Montrose, uh, police recovered five empty boxes for semi-automatic handguns, two shotguns, and a container for high-octane fuel tank gasoline. They also found what was described as a, quote, virtual bomb factory in his home. Okay. This guy. He had a lot of problems. I'm just saying, like, ammunition, guns, virtual bomb factory. Kind of expensive, right? Like, why are you spending all your money? I'm going to assume so. Maybe you would have some money (laughs) if you weren't fucking spending all your shit on these war toys. (laughs) It's like someone's mother. Hey, you'd have money if you weren't spending it on all them bombs. Right? (laughs) Maybe you'd have a life if you weren't into all them bombs. I mean, for real. Like, I don't know. He... He, clearly, he had a lot of issues. He had bad grades because of them bombs. <laughs> Bruce Jeffrey Pardo was a bitter, broke, bastard piece of shit. <laughs> I feel like Bottom one day line. I'm going to be described that way. A bitter, broke, bastard piece of shit. God. You'll well, be the one to say it to me. <laughs> I'll let you know before then. <laughs> no, he was. But this story is not about him. This story is about Sylvia Ortega. Pardo, her family, and all the victims of this crime. Mm-hmm. Nine people died during or shortly after Pardo's melee attack. Three were killed by gunshot wounds alone, and four others died from a combination of gunshot wounds and fire, while two others were killed by the fire alone. Three others were wounded. The eight-year-old girl who was shot in the face had severe but non-life-threatening injuries. A 16-year-old girl was shot and wounded in the back, and a 20-year-old woman who suffered a broken ankle jumping out the second floor window. A total of 14 children lost at least one parent in the massacre. Oh. We honor the victims of this massacre by listing their names here. Sylvia Ortega Pardo, Alicia Sotomayor Ortega, Joseph S. Ortega, Charles Ortega, Sherry Lynn Ortega, James Ortega, Teresa Ortega, Alicia Ortega Ortiz, and Michael Andre Ortiz. Hmm. And that is the story of the Kavina massacre. That's insane. So that's like, and it kind of goes back to what you said uh, about sort of feeling safe in your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in an event, you know, like a family, like, Christmas gathering a family get gathering yeah um because there's a feeling of like as much as we shit on christmas there is like a feeling of cheer and of warmth and of like togetherness with your family whether it's the family that you chose or the family you were born into and for that to be so violated is like one of the scariest things that we can talk about mm-hmm. you know like on this show yeah i definitely think it was um yeah like and the way that it was carried out with just, like, you had to go, like, you had to do the Santa suit. Like, you it had to overkill. go there. It was overkill. Right. It was totally, like, just the, that image of 
him because okay so Caitlin family tangent um when I was a kid we would get together at my great uncle's basement we still get there get together there now um but as a kid there was one of the neighbors would dress up in a Santa suit and he would come in the back door of the basement and he would bring like little gifts and stuff for us kids and so it would make it special because my myself and all my cousins um we would get so excited when this like person came to the door because to us it was Santa and like I have that memory personally so like that part of this story is just absolutely horrifying to me because, like, I would have been that eight-year-old girl, like, rushing toward. Running like, I understand her I mean, her response. Pretty much any small child right. would have had would that have, response. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, it's Santa coming right, up. Right, Like, that um, is just... Um, and then to have that violated, I mean, yeah. thankfully, I mean, she survived. She did. She survived. Um, so she was obviously shot in the face and wounded, but she it wasn't life threatening and they were able to, you know, save her and she she lived. Wow. So, yeah. And then just the thought of like the, like what you mentioned with the bits of the suit burned like into burned his skin. into yeah. his yeah. skin. Like Yeah. That's uh that's like nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it and I think that is an interesting metaphor given like, clearly, so he and Sylvia had gotten married in 2006, and it had ended relatively quickly. They filed for a divorce in 2000. She filed for a divorce in two, June of 2008. So that's, like, what, a year and a half? Yeah. Like, for him to get so fixated on it and to not be able to, like you said, just move on is kind of, it's almost like the embarrassment of getting that divorce and going through that. Right just wouldn't let go of him and was burned into his brain the way that the Santa suit was burned into his flesh. You know what I mean? He yeah. Just could, he just couldn't escape that. And so he let it destroy him. And unfortunately, he destroyed a family. You know, their 14 kids lost at least one parent. So, yeah. It's, it's really horrifying. So. Not to bring down the mood. No. But. Not at all. You know. Not depressing at all, <laughs> but actually very depressing. <laughs> but actually, but actually depressing. Yeah. But you know what? I am probably not gonna. <laughs> I'm probably not gonna bring us up anymore either. The Haunted Heart Podcast, the show where you get depressed and then you just get more depressed. More depressed, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yes, thank you for that. I didn't really, um, that was, I had never heard of that case before. Mm-hmm. So that was really um, uh, terrifying, uh, murderous Santa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also have murder. 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 The Lawson family murders. Ah. So, I know that this is a pretty well-known case for the most part, but I wanted to bring it to you guys because for me, this was something that, um, it hit a little close to home, uh, and I'll well, get into that Well, it's from, like, it happened, like, really close to where we grew up, right? For, like, yeah. not far from yeah. where we grew up. So, geographically, it's literally close to home. Yeah, geographically, that's, yeah, it's, like, literally... Because it was North Carolina, right? Close to home, yes. Okay. So, Germanton, North Carolina. Not okay. town. Germanton. Germanton. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. 
it's it was named Germanton because town was already taken. Oh. <laughs> so they just took away the W. Uh, good. Sounds like North Carolina, girl. <laughs> For real. Germantown, I think, is in Maryland. There's, I think, yeah, and I think there might be also another one in North Carolina. I can't remember. Oh. But anyway. Right. Uh, yeah, Germantown is not far from here. Uh, yes. So it was established in 1790. It is the oldest community in Stokes County. And it got its name from an influx of German immigrants that had supported the American Revolution. Revolution. <laughs> the American Revolution, and as such, were given land as an incentive. Mm-hmm. Now, it's about 50 minutes northwest of Greensboro, actually. Yep. So, uh, from where... I'm not from Greensboro. Greensboro. God damn, I can't <laughs> you, talk today. You literally cannot... Shit. Not say Greensboro. Greensboro. You always say Greensboro. Greensboro. <laughs> anyway, it's about 50 minutes northwest of Greensboro. Uh, so it's not far from where I have previously lived. Uh, and in 1918, three brothers by the name of Marion, Elijah, and Charlie Lawson made the move to the Germantown area. Now, the immediate Lawson family had lived in around about the same area. For a few generations, up until about the 1750s, when a William White Eye Lawson. White Eye? White Eye Lawson. White Eye. White Eye. You think he had something wrong with his eye? Well, like he had one of the foggy eyes? <laughs> and that's why they called him White well, Eye? Well, listen, he was the son of John Black Eye Lawson. Interesting. <laughs> and grandson of William Falling River Lawson. <laughs> So it went like Falling River, Black Eye, mm-hmm. White Eye. Yep. Uh, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, for those who may be inquiring, I am Kenny of the Walmart Shopping Straighters. <laughs> so, Charlie was and the- And I am Katie of the Cracker Barrel <laughs> aficionado. The Cracker Barrel Murray's. <laughs> So, Charlie was the oldest of uh, the three brothers, and by 1918, he had married Fanny Manring and had several children. You know, like they did back in them days. They you had know, some kids, honey. You gotta love a woman named Fanny. Fanny. You know, Fanny's, they never do you wrong. You know what I mean? She gonna cook for you. She mm-hmm. gonna care for you. She gonna bear you a couple children. Fanny. Fanny gonna take care of you. Yeah, Fanny. Fanny's a caregiver. Fanny going to shade you in the summer, and she going to keep you warm in the winter. Amen. Fanny, do you right. Amen. Fanny, do you right. Now, the Lawsons were what we call sharecroppers. And if you were paying attention in American History 101, unlike myself, who was too busy doodling pentagrams and demonic faces in your notebook, then you'll know that sharecropping is when you cultivate a plot of land and then give a portion of the crop as rent. Yes. And as speaking as the history major who was not doodling because I can't draw worth a fuck. Um, That portion of crops that you give as your rent is usually a big fucking portion. Like They make it sound like, oh, you just give like 15% of what your farm... No. You give basically everything, and then you live on like the three fucking turnips you have left. (laughs) And you try not to starve. Well, you keep this ear of corn, and I'll take the rest. Yes, that's pretty much how it works. It was not a good system for the post-Civil War era South. So in 1927, the family had actually saved enough money to buy a little farm on Brook Cove Road uh, that had a little 200-year-old farmhouse attached to it. Quaint, nice. Probably haunted. 
probably haunted. It's 200 years old. By all accounts, they seemed like a pretty typical, quiet farming family of the times. So it was unusual when about two weeks before Christmas, and this was something that when I was researching was kind of like split down the middle. Some people said it was two weeks before Christmas when the pictures were taken. Some people said it was the day of. Yeah, I've heard it was the day of. Um, But from the more um, reliable resources say say two weeks. Two weeks makes more sense, honestly. Right, because I don't think Christmas morning who's taking pictures who's gonna Christmas be taking morning. pictures. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was two yeah, I'm pretty certain it was two weeks before Christmas. Yeah. Um I think the day of just makes, makes it, it sound yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like the um, HBO movie version yeah. of events, but it probably was two weeks. Yeah. So Charlie took his entire family into the town of Winston Salem and bought them all new outfits family portrait Hmm. now pictures at the time were you know still pretty expensive especially for people um that weren't you know that were living off three turnips that were living off three turnips yeah exactly (laughs) pretty fucking they didn't have an extra turnip to give to the photographer Mm -mm. no Mm -hmm. that turnip had to boil in a pot many times (laughs) a couple times (laughs) um yeah so especially working class farmers um such as themselves, let alone all new outfits to a company. That, right. That sounds like a lot of money. Yeah. Lots of money. Because remember, they had lots of kids. Mm, yeah, true. So you had uh, clockwise from the picture, which you cannot see, but we'll post it. Uh, they had Arthur, who was the eldest son, who was 16. Uh, Mary, who was the eldest daughter at 17. And then in the picture, you have Charlie, um, who stood beside Mary, uh, Marie, 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 uh, who was 43, Fanny was 37, uh, who was holding her four-month-old daughter, Mary Lou. And you had Carrie, who was 12, Raymond, 2, Maybell, 7, and James, 4. I told you, Fanny... Gonna bear you some children. She bared plenty of children. And like I said, that's a lot of clothes to buy. It's true. And you know back in the day, I won't know, just buy a t-shirt, pants. No, you you were taking a picture. You had to buy the three-piece suit, the vest. Mm-hmm. You had to buy the works, honey. Mm-hmm. So they go take their pictures, wait for them in the um, one-hour photo. <laughs> one-hour photo department. No, they didn't have those. Um, took much longer to get your pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Christmas morning, 17-year-old Marie woke up and made her way into the kitchen to make a traditional raisin cake for the family Christmas. Their eldest son, Arthur, had been tasked with heading to town to purchase some ammunition for a father-son hunting excursion, and little Carrie and Maybelle were making their way to their uncle's house. The little farmhouse uh, surely smelled of... Sweet, delicious, warm cinnamon uh, as Marie added the final touch of raisins to her beautiful Christmas cake. Mm. Ugh. And Ugh. I love it. I hate a raisin. I love raisins. I hate a raisin. Ugh. I hate you. <laughs> it's like if like rat poop was like a candy. Oh, I love raisins. I hate a They're raisin. They're great. Ugh. Making a cake and then putting raisins on it is just like... 
horrible to me. No. Such a... Delicious. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So perhaps uh, the gunshots that echoed shortly after didn't warrant much of a worry. After all, there was a hunting outing being planned, or maybe she just didn't hear it. Um, But a gunshot directly on the front porch caused Marie to scream. Uh, It was at that point that she probably told her two younger brothers to hide, and as they did so, another shot killed Marie instantly. In the house? Yes. Oh, shit. The two boys attempted to hide, but were soon found and also shot. And in the bassinet laid four-month-old Mary Lou. No. No doubt crying from all of the commotion. Looking up at her father, Charlie, just before he bludgeoned her to death. He didn't shoot her. Mm -mm. He bludgeoned her. Oh, no. He bludgeoned Mm. her. Mm -mm. After the murders, Charlie gathered the bodies of his mutilated family and rested their heads on blocks with their arms folded over their chests. He then proceeded to make his way into the woods where he would remain for some time. The first to discover the bodies were Charlie's brother, Elijah, and his sons, who had decided to stop by after an early morning hunt to wish the family a Merry Christmas. Charlie's wife, Fanny, had been shot in the chest on the porch, and the bodies of little Carrie and Maybell were found in the tobacco barn adjacent to the house. They had been um, not only shot, but bludgeoned as well. Uh, One could only um, assume for preventative measures. Or because they were still breathing. Right. Uh, or still alive. And right. so he proceeded to bludgeon them to finish the deed. Huh. And then, of course, you had uh, Marie around about in the kitchen area and the kids right. and the baby who were right. hiding. So the only one missing, of course, was Charlie. But about a couple hours after the discovery, a shot blasted out from the woods The sound alerted the relatives, and they were able to track the sounds of Charlie's hounds to his body. No note had been left as to why he committed the murders, but a pacing in the ground told that he had been contemplating his actions and suicide for some time. The bodies were buried together with an estimated 5,000 people uh, attending the funeral. Damn, that's a lot back then. For North Carolina at that Yes, it was about 5,000 people attended the funerals. Um, So one can only wonder why. Mm -hmm. What would possess a husband Mm. and a father to just completely annihilate his own family. Yeah, family annihilator, yeah. So there were a number of rumors that spread around. I mean, we're talking small town, North Carolina. So you know that like rumors um, flew like the wind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, some speculated that he actually did not murder his family, that it was kind of staged to look like he had and had committed a suicide. Um, people say that it was an organized crime incident, like, you know. But what kind of organized crime were they part of? Who knows? That was one theory. Um, and you know, that they were involved in something and his family had been murdered for it and it was staged to look like a murder-suicide. Um, another involves a man that Charlie had started a fight with and possibly came back for revenge. Um, Mm. None of the rumors really seem plausible um, or fit with any of the facts. Yeah. Uh, All of the signs obviously pointed to a murder-suicide. Yeah, yeah. But 
there is one theory that cropped up, share cropped up. Anyway. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, so it was not uh, until the book uh, White Christmas, Bloody Christmas was published in 1990 that a strong claim surfaced. On interviewing many people regarding the Lawson family murder, the book's authors, uh, Bruce Jones and Trudy J. Smith, found that several people recounted rumors and stories regarding Charlie, his daughter Marie, and incest. Mm. In 1989, the authors had received a call from an anonymous woman. She said she had gone on a tour of the Lawson home shortly after the murders, and the tour guide had told about the incest rumor, which he stated as fact. The day the book, uh, the day before the book was to be published, the authors received a phone call from a one uh, Miss Stella Lawson, daughter of Marion Lawson and cousin to the Lawson children. Uh-huh. Uh, who had already been interviewed for the book. On this occasion, she over she told them she knew the truth as to why Charlie did it. Stella said that at the funeral for the Lawsons, she had overheard Fanny's sisters-in-law and aunts, including her own mother, Jetty Lawson, discussing how Fanny had confided in them that she had been concerned about Charlie and Marie and some relations that may have been going on. Uh, now, Jetty died in early 1928, meaning um, Fanny had been suspicious of the, incest, of the incest at least that long before the murders in 1929. So, uh, so she had been suspicious for at least a year or so. Yeah, oh. for at least a year. That's the worst kind of relations, too. Relations between relations. Mm. Yeah. That ain't the kind. Um, maybe the most convincing evidence yet came from a close friend of Marie Lawson's, Ella May. She claims that just weeks before Christmas, Marie told her that she was pregnant and that it was Charlie's. Mm. Ella May also said that Charlie and Fanny knew about this. And there was another gentleman by the name of Hill Hampton, who was another close friend and neighbor to the Lawson family, who was interviewed. And he said that he knew of serious problems going on within the family and that he knew the nature of the problem but that it was personal, and he chose not to reveal what it was. Huh. So, that's sort of the theory that uh, is sort of widely accepted. Um, hmm. I mean, it makes sense, because if you have something that's time-sensitive like that, where she's pregnant, people are going to want to know who she's pregnant by, and who the baby, who's the baby is, right. and, you know, there's a potential that the baby might have some pretty significant problems right that would ratchet up the pressure on him to do something to avoid all of that right like murder your whole fucking family because you're an idiot and you abuse your children exactly exactly and you so don't want everybody to in know. the picture um of the family that was taken uh before christmas uh-huh. um you can clear you can see marie in the picture um, and you can see her torso and her, like, stomach area. And it doesn't, like, she doesn't look... Pregnant. Pregnant. But the way that the, like, her dress does fit a little tight. When I was looking at the picture and I was looking at, um, like, really good quality uh-huh. versions of the picture, uh-huh. the dress around her stomach area did look rather... Like tight and is this like one of these Beyonce things where we trying to guess if B is pregnant? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no, I mean it kind of is because it looks like, 
I mean, I can't say, but some people girl, maybe um, she have just had a second helping of raisin cake that did. day, girl. Maybe she did, but some, some people, could say that about me. I mean, some people say that she could have do like looking at the picture that she could have been at least like two to maybe like three months pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Because um, like it, she wasn't like fully out there, yeah. but you know, right? At, like two to three months, like you kind of look like you might be gaining some weight, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But not, um, you know, you you'll. Pro- we'll probably never know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, in the aftermath, um, shortly after the murders, uh, Charlie's brother, Marion Lawson, uh, opened the home, as I it's, um, just stated, on Brook Cove Road as a tourist attraction. Yeah, that's, um, that's a little fucked. He charged 25 cents a pop to view the home. Always have to love an opportunist. He said, we've had to monetize. I mean... He said, you can check us out at (laughs) patreon.com. Yeah. The first true crime fanatic. That's exactly what he did. He was trying to make him some money. We can't even judge his ass either, because we would do that. I mean, just saying. (laughs) Uh, The cake that Marie Lawson had baked on Christmas Day was displayed on the tour. Wow. Because Did they, like, Mod Podge it? No. Well, no. To preserve it? <laughs> no. Girl, how are you going to keep that? So, because visitors began to pick at the raisins on the cake to take as souvenirs, it was placed in a covered glass cake dish and thus preserved for many years. Wow. So, they covered it in glass. Is it still there? So, well, I'm getting into that. Sorry. So, the only surviving I'm fucking child... I'm ruining your writing here. <laughs> <laughs> the only surviving child, Arthur, um, who was the one who had been sent on an errand to get uh, ammunition mm. prior... And who... Did Charlie send him? Yes. Charlie huh. sent him. So, Charlie sent him away. Charlie sent him away specifically. To, like, save him. Hmm. So... He lived on to marry and have four children, but unfortunately died in a freak automobile accident 15 years later. Uh, Um, Can you fucking imagine being the one survivor of, like, your father murdering your entire fucking family? Yeah, it's... Can you imagine, like, the survivor guilt that that poor man must have had? Well, just imagine, like, he went into town to get... Ammo. You know, ammo, run an errand. Right. And then and his dad sent him on back. and then came yeah. back and everybody was, oh, Yeah, God. so he, um, you know, his uncles found them first and then, like, essentially had to, like, drive and get him and bring him home mm. after the fact. Um, so just imagine leaving your family and everything's fine, your sister's baking a cake, and then, right. like, a couple hours later coming back and they're all mutilated and dead and your father is the one who did it and he has committed suicide and you don't know why Mm. um but back to the cake (laughs) (laughs) um always back to the cake so i actually um there was a documentary that was made um, by break of dawn productions i think in 2006 i really wanted to watch it but um could not find it anywhere except for amazon and it was 35 dollars for the hard copy and I could not find it anywhere to watch online. But I did find the Facebook page for the production company that created it. Um, and they did leave an, an interesting comment that I thought was um, kind of kind of funny. Um, they just mentioned that, they, that the story or their documentary had got mentioned in the New York Daily News. Um, but 
and this is a quote from their Facebook, but actually many death cakes were made over the years and the murder raisins off them were sold for 10 cents a piece during the house tours that helped prop up Stokes County's uh, tourist economy throughout the Great Depression. Interesting. So they were just making cakes. They were making and cakes. And putting them, okay, all right. They were making fresh cakes and putting raisins on them. I and mean, girl, because I was thinking, them. if you don't mind, Podgett, that cake ain't going to last. Cake don't last in this house no. more than like three days, girl. No, it, it does not. You got a mod Podgett. It does not. Um, and then you might be wondering what happened to the murder weapon. The guns? Yeah. Yeah. The gun. What the ha- shotgun. What happened to the gun, Kenny? So during these tours, um, there was a gentleman um, who was one of the tour givers. Um, he, the family did not want any of, like, they didn't want the gun. I guess they thought it was in bad taste to have the gun around. Yeah. Um, I would. But not in bad taste to have people come through the home. Right. We just don't want the gun around. See, yeah. I, and I don't understand that. I would want to have the gun there. Really? That would bring in more more, more people would want to see oh, it. Oh, yeah, you're enterprising. But anyway, yes, always a Slytherin. Uh. Anyway, uh, so the man's name was Samuel Walker Hill. Um, and like I said, as the story goes, the relatives decided they didn't want the guns used in the murders around. So one day, they started a bonfire and threw the family's clothes and guns into it. Hill huh. apparently fished out the shotgun and took it home. <laughs> you guys can't <laughs> see, but then, Kenny just shot me like the most satisfied Slytherin look ever. And took it home. Yes, uh, because back then, gun a gun was money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Hill passed it down to his son, who in turn passed it on to his son, uh, who then in turn passed it on to uh, his daughter, who didn't seem to think that having the gun was a big deal. Hmm. Uh, and this lady's name is a Shuri Madison, S-H-I-R-R-Y. Oh, the best kind of um, Sherry. Yes. And she uh, currently owns the gun. Interesting. Um she said that when she was a little girl, she actually used it to shoot mistletoe out of trees. And as an adult, she kept the 12-gauge shotgun in a gun case and didn't say much about it. Nobody asked me, and I didn't tell them, she said. Hmm. One day, about a year and a half ago, her daughter, Angie McAllister, happened to mention the gun to a Maria Hodges, who had been a student of the killings for some time. Um, and so... Now the gun has sort of become like one of the artifacts associated with the killings. And there was actually a, um, they do uh, sort of like a museum. Like they've got different things that they pulled together. So she still has the gun, but they like bring a picture of it. Mm. Like she brings a picture of the gun Mm because she doesn't like, you know. Want to bring want, the yeah yeah want to bring the I actual can see that. gun, but they bring the um like they have the the stones that were used to that he used to prop the heads up, mm. um and the picture of the gun, picture of the house, different things like that, mm. um which I thought was really interesting. And the one thing that I could not figure out, and the one thing that really sort of um confused me the most about the murder was why did he send Arthur away? Right, why save one? Why? Yeah. Um, 
which was something that a lot of people questioned as well. Right. Uh, and some people, um, some people say that he couldn't have done what he did with Arthur there. And that, that Arthur, Arthur might have fought him. Would have fought. Yeah. yeah and stopped him. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking. But that's what I thought too. But if you have a shotgun, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but he's, you know, he's and, older and, and more feeble than. Um, yeah, but Arthur wouldn't have been expecting it. True. He could or have maybe easily he, I mean, taken, maybe he wanted a son to like, one son to live on so that he didn't like. Well, that's another theory Take his too. whole family out. That's that another theory too. he was still fucking narcissistic enough to want the. Exactly. You know, the family line Because to, to me, like he. Ugh. In that state of mind, you would want to take out your strongest opponent first, right? Yeah, yeah. So you would have taken out Arthur first, or at least it would have made the most sense to me, um, because it would have been unsuspecting. Yeah. Um, take him out and then go after, you know, the little girls and all of that. Yeah. As horrible as that sounds. As horrible as it sounds, but, I mean, in the mind of a killer, yeah. that's what would make the most sense. So... Yeah. Um, and again, some people said that he wanted his name to continue on, um, but you know, you never really know what he was thinking. Or it could have been that he sent Arthur away to take care of the rest of the family, and then he that he went into the woods to wait for Arthur to come back, and then he just like paced and paced and lost his shit. Yeah, I mean, because of what everything he had done, you know, he could have been planning to take Arthur out too, but just lost his shit and killed himself first. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, there's another theory that claims that Arthur may not have been his actual child. Hmm. That um, And so that's why he didn't kill him, because he wasn't, like, a part of his family. Like, Fanny might have had an affair. Yeah. That was another theory that was thrown out, but, you know. I don't believe that of I, Fanny. I, I don't. <laughs> Fanny couldn't do that. I, she's Fanny. <laughs> she's Fanny. She's Fanny. This is true. Okay. Um. Well, that's so. Fucked. Yeah, that's kind of the case. There's actually, um, and there's some spooky things that actually happened. The house has been torn down for many years now, um, but a lot of people say that some of the old barns are actually still around that the Lawson family used hmm. on their farm. Hmm. Um, and I found one comment actually on a um, YouTube uh, video that said. I lived on the Lawson property for a few years beside Hampton Road off Brook Cove. There are tobacco barns still standing that were used by the Lawsons and other farmers. My friend's family owns most of the Lawson family's land. Stella Boyles, Bowles, excuse me, who helped write the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, was my babysitter as a child. And I heard the stories growing up. She was Charlie Lawson's niece. She, um, and that he, I have seen many unexplained things, um, some nights on the farm hmm. and apparently there's like local ghost stories that on this stretch of road at night um you can see the ghost children mm. of the lawsons mm -hmm. um and the family itself a lot of people just claim to see lots of really weird things around the lawson family plot because they were actually all buried together like in uh, one grave yes Ooh. one Ooh. they dug one large trench and put all of the family members in him there. Him too? Him too. Ooh. Resting right beside his wife. Ooh. Um, and the four-month-old baby was actually buried with Fanny in her arms. Oh. 
but they're all buried under the same plot. And mm. a lot of people experience um, different things. I thought I actually had a really interesting clip because someone went and took um, an EVP. Oh, cool. Um, but I was listening to it, and I think the EVP was, <laughs> was completely fake, fake as fuck. Yeah. So I didn't post it. I was really excited because um, it was supposed to be about a go- uh, supposed to be a ghost kid voice saying something like shotgun, but it just seemed too fake. Seems to me. too on the nose. Yeah, it seemed too on the nose. But you know, might you know, you never know. Yeah, maybe we can get down there and do some exploring. It's not that far. Mm-mm, not so at all. That might be cool. So, all right. That's. Well, that's a huge bummer. That's a bummer on top of a bummer. That was like a like bummer raisins on top of a bummer cake. Yeah, I just wanted to bring, but I mean, I tried to bring in. Um, like I said, I know that this case is sort of covered quite frequently, but I was trying to find different little elements to bring in, like mm-hmm. you know what happened to the shotgun, like what happened to the murder weapon, like these yeah. extra things. And I really, 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 if I can get my hands on the documentary somehow, I do want to watch it because. Um, from the trailer to the documentary, it they sourced a lot of interviews from local people who knew the family or whose relatives knew the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there seemed to be a lot of like personal accounts that they were going through, which I really wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it is right. what it is. Cool. Yeah, we don't have the patron, Patreon money for that $35 documentary. For the $35 documentary, no. I tried, and I tried, I... Tried pirating it online, but couldn't find it. <laughs> Don't admit to that in public. <laughs> I no, I did not try to pirate it. Good, good. Not at all. I did not try to Google search the movie on Put Locker. All right. Well, speaking of Patreon, if you want to join our Patreon and you want to get extra exclusive bonus content that we only share for Patreon folk, head over to patreon.com slash the haunted heart. You can see all kinds of like bloopers and like bonus content. I think um, we even did like a couple makeup tutorials for this like month, which is really fucking funny. Non-makeup tutorials, Katie. Non-makeup makeup makeup tutorials. Non-makeup makeup tutorials. They're pretty fucking funny. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty fun over there. So you can head over and become a monthly supporter of the show there. We are truly very thankful for all of our Patreon folk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also talk with us on Facebook and our Facebook group. If you search the Haunted Heart podcast on Facebook, you can request to join the closed group. It's a closed group for your privacy so that your friends and family don't have to see all the spooky shit that you post and who you really fucking are. Um, you don't have to alarm Aunt Judy over her morning cup of coffee as she scrolls through Facebook. You just request to join. We will approve you unless you are a ghost or a serial killer ghosts maybe serial killers probably not uh and ghosts of serial killers definitely not (laughs) definitely not uh on twitter you can find us at the haunted heart and on instagram you can find us at the haunted heart podcast we are stepping up our social media game are we we are so make sure that you are following us on all three platforms because it's different content on each platform uh and if you could go uh on facebook and if you search the haunted heart you can like our page please go do that um the facebook group and the facebook page are two separate entities and uh we need likes on our facebook page because we have like a bunch of people in our group and our facebook page is like Uh sad So um, if you could do that. Also, if you have any uh, stories or things that you would like us uh, sort of like tangentially related material that you want us to talk about on the show, shoot us an email um, at stayspooky at 
spookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookyspookysp